Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. Joe Wolfon is away right now. He's on his delayed honeymoon. He's somewhere in Hawaii on one of the islands, hopefully playing poker with Don Nelson if he, if he gets the chance. <laughs> but in his stead, I'm joined today by one of my favorite people to shoot the shit about basketball with. The score is John Chick. Cash, good to be back. Uh, yeah, Wolfon in Hawaii. Do you know what island it is? You know what? I, I think he was doing a little bit of island bouncing. Nice. I think he's doing a little... Yeah, I think he was do, starting off in Maui or at some point going to be in Maui. Molokai, the underrated Hawaiian island. Too. Interesting. I've done Maui. I've never done Molokai nice. or Oahu or any of the... Uh, Kauai. Not Kauai. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I thought that was a joke. Well, <laughs> speaking of Kauai, the All-Star game is coming gone and... We did not record last week. I was in Chicago, and Joe was, again, on this delayed honeymoon. I don't think we really missed much. The All-Star Weekend was a eventful one. Definitely a hell of a lot better than last year's in Charlotte, where you could step outside of the arena, and it didn't even seem like the city was aware they were hosting All-Star Weekend. Chicago was not like that. It was a great buzz in the atmosphere, basically from Thursday through Monday morning. The events were great. The All-Star Game itself was one of the best ever. I think they should definitely keep the target score for at least the fourth quarter in all-star games hell i'd be interested in them considering doing a target score for regular season overtimes yeah i think that was talked about right after it happened i think we're gonna head in that direction i mean this worked well beyond the wildest dreams and i mean you know obviously the first year with you know, there's an emotion around the kobe stuff as well but yeah i mean you know the, the league's been trying to figure out ways to kind of juice this up and i mean this is a simple one this elam ending thing i think it's a great idea and it would work totally well in overtime i mean i'm not sure about some of the other ideas but you know we can give it a shot at some point on what's going to happen next year but we'll see yeah i think especially in the regular season you know when a team might be on the first night of a back-to-back or the second night of a back-to-back you want to eliminate the potential for like a double triple overtime situation it's probably not great for tv yeah schedules or ratings to have a game going three overtimes in the regular season obviously the playoffs are a different animal but i think for the regular season I think if, if we get to a point where overtime is a target score, like each team gets one timeout or something, I think NBA OTs can become a lot better. Yeah, a lot more entertaining. I think it's a no-brainer. <clears throat> the only thing is I think, and we noticed this with the All-Star game, is that there's no TV commercial breaks because there's no clock. So unless they figure out a way to do that, the, the broadcasters might get upset. But I'm sure there's a way of doing this where there's a timeout and you know so forth. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I don't know why they didn't think of this sooner. I mean, we've known this Elam ending has been around from the basketball tournament thing and some, the, the guy who invented it. But, no, it's cool. It's a great idea. And, I mean, it, just like that, we've been talking, you know, nitpicking about ideas to make this game better, and that really did it. The league did find a way to make the All-Star game better. They came up with a good idea. You know what was never a good idea, John? That's the only place with us getting free. You, gotta be you know what was never a good idea? Was the Cavs turning their arena into Thug's Mansion. Yeah, that was a that, nice touch. That, of course, the acoustics of uh, Tupac and Nas, Thug's Mansion. And if you're wondering why the hell we randomly just cut to 10 seconds of Thug's Mansion. Apparently well played in the Cavs locker room in the last exactly. couple of weeks. It's because... John Beeline has stepped down from his post as Cavaliers head coach after, what, four months on the job? Made it to the All-Star break in his one season as an NBA head coach. Famously had the incident earlier this season where he referred to his Cavs players in a film session as thugs, then came out and apologized saying what he actually meant was slugs. <laughs> it's, it's honestly hard to even get through it. We discussed it and joked about it at the time and assumed that he was done and in for then he lasted a couple more months 
stepped down during the All-Star break, and since then, a very detailed and, quite frankly, very comical report came out from Jason Lloyd and Shams Sharanya of The Athletic about the details behind John Beeline's resignation and all the crap that kind of went down behind the scenes, and the most famous detail from that story was that in the aftermath of John Beeline calling the Cavs thugs and then saying he actually meant slugs, is that the players would often blare music with the word thug in it around Beeline to troll him. And and I guess the most famous of those was probably Thug's Mansion by Tupac and Nile. So we can just get into it right away because I think we're going to have some fun here. <laughs> Bone thugs, no harmony. Yeah, that was, yeah, the score... <laughs> John sent out a great news alert yesterday, if, if you have the score app, which if you don't, what the hell are you doing? And the alert to NBA subscribers read, Bone Thugs, No Harmony. One of the one. artists who uh, the Cavs were trolling Beeline with. But yeah, what a what a joke. I mean, yeah. and I mean, are we be surprised in the NBA, like after we heard that story and the whole slugs thing, that they would try something like this? I mean, he had clearly lost the locker room a long time ago. If he ever had it at all. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it, it sounds like from that story that that he lost him in summer league. So he basically lost players before he actually got to the regular roster. It's insane. And I mean, he was a terrible choice from the start. It made no sense for a guy who's 66 years old to leave like a comfortable college gig. You know, he's not like he's climbing the ladder. He's actually at a really good program. Yeah. He got to a final. He got to a national championship game just a couple of years ago. In that stage of his life, take on the Cleveland Cavaliers of all teams, who was rebuilding after LeBron leaves, just made zero sense. And you could see it wasn't going to last. I'm surprised it lasted 54 games. But, you know, I, I would have I picked 82. But here we are. <laughs> I didn't understand the hiring to begin with. But just in general, the whole college coach culture, and I guess Brad Stevens was different because he was very young. Yeah, exactly. you know, so I guess he connected with the players a lot better, and I think he probably ran Butler and his college program a lot closer, maybe, to the way modern NBA coaches would run it. It's probably a lot more player first and exactly. player collaborative. These old school college coaches like John Beeline, they are not used to being player collaborative and player first. They're used to it being. I'm like the grandpa in the room, and it's my way or the highway, and this is how we're going to do things. And as John Beeline found out, and a lot of other old-school college-type coaches have found out, that does not fly in the NBA in the year 2020 (laughs) especially. And you can say what you want and complain and say players are entitled. It doesn't matter. This is what it is. This is a player's league. This, more than any other league, is a superstar's league. And John Beeline is not going to come from the NCAA and tell Kevin Love or even Colin Sexton, who's only a rookie, he's only a sophomore. They're like, you're not, Carlin, yeah. yeah, you're not telling those guys. Yeah, you can tell them what to do, obviously, as a coach, but you're not running their lives. Exactly. You're not, you're not putting them through two days in friggin' summer league. Exactly. They're, they're not teenagers. Well, they are. Maybe they are teenagers, but they're also professionals, yeah. and that's the thing. Like this guy's running these guys through two day practices in Vegas, and they were the, the summer league guys were upset that they were getting blown out when they played because they're overworked. Makes no sense at all to go into a season like this with a team like this. Yeah, like you said, it's a Players League, college basketball is a coach's system. We all know that. They run the show. And, I mean, I, this wouldn't have been a good idea 10 years ago, let alone today, <laughs> like, to, to make that jump. And I, I had read that he had always thought, I guess, in the back of his head he wanted to coach professionally. Uh, it failed spectacularly, and he never should have done it. You know a lot more about college ball, I, I think, than I do. Do you – 
Is he just done now, or, or do you see him very quickly jumping back into like a high-paying college job? Because the guy walked away from, what was it, $12 million guaranteed yeah, I think by, that, by walking away from this job. Yeah. So I assume he's either just completely checked out and heading to retirement, or he knows he can walk into a cushy college gig whenever he wants. I think that's what's unclear with this, what, what he's owed. We're not sure of the details, but it was like $4 million a year, and he's still got a title with the Cavs. It's kind of a joke. It's like when Brian Colangelo left the Raptors, they still gave him a title, but I'm sure he'll be detached from the team within a couple months. But, no, I think he actually will go back to college. I have no idea what opening there is. There hasn't been any sturdy reports about anywhere he might land, but there's going to be programs, I think, that would, would bring him on. And he's got a really good resume in college, and I think they'll just look at this like an aberration. I'm trying to think. Off the top of your head, did he send a lot of guys to the NBA through his programs? His, his two most famous stops are, what, Michigan and West Virginia? Yeah, yeah. Really, was, I mean— Was, like, Trey Burke with him yeah, at Michigan? Okay. Yeah, Trey Burke. Uh, I mean, some of the other guys that came through there in the last couple of years, like Iggy Brzezikas, and he recruited right. him. Um, I mean, these aren't super Stauskas necessarily. Was, yeah, yeah, Stauskas yeah. was one of his guys. Um, at West Virginia, I can't remember. I don't think there were – maybe Joe Alexander. You remember that name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that might have been his tenure. Um, Joe Alexander, like a lottery pick by the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another swing and a miss. <laughs> but before that, he's he, like he climbed the college ladder. I think he started out like in one of those schools around Buffalo like 20, 25 years ago, and he kind of climbed the ladder, so – I mean, Michigan is – it's a football school first, but to be a basketball coach in Michigan is a pretty sturdy job. He was making $2.5 million there. So, I mean, he obviously took the money and wanted a chance to, to coach in the pros, and it just didn't work. Yeah, no, it, it did not. The thing that I think surprised me a little bit in the report about it that, that I mentioned off the top from Lloyd and Shams is they wrote about how John Beeline wasn't able to cope with some of the NBA you know, transactions that occur. And one of the examples they gave was, so obviously the Cavs are very starved for scoring in general. They're not a very talented team. We know that they stink. Jordan Clarkson was actually having a solid year for them to everyone's surprise. And he's continued to have that solid year in Utah. He's actually been really good for Utah and much needed for them. But apparently when the Cavs traded Clarkson, John Beeline kind of didn't understand it and he didn't know how to cope with it because it was like, well... Didn't know how to replace we, the scoring. Yeah. Right, we yeah. don't, we're not a good offensive team and we just lost one of our better scores. Like, how am I going to cope with this? We don't have enough creators. And like, I get that coaches would be frustrated by something like that. But John Beeline signed, uh, I believe, a four-year or a five-year contract when he took this job. I think a four with a one-year So yeah, yeah, so there you go. Four to five-year contract he took with a team that stunk. A team that was near the NBA basement with very little clear paths to immediate improvement. So any sound basketball mind, when they're taking that job, should be able to look at the roster, look at the market, look at the history of the franchise, and be able to say, okay, this is going to be a long project for me. And the fact that he got a four- or five-year deal, you'd think, (laughs) like, all those things to a guy that I'm assuming is still mentally capable you'd assume he he could understand all that so it kind of surprised me then given all those factors that half a season into year one he'd be panicking about the fact like oh you traded jordan clarkson what am i gonna do now without this scoring it's like dude he's can you not tell you're in year one or two of a rebuild like what do you yeah i mean the point of this team was to basically let the guys like sexton and garland develop i mean you're not necessarily out there to win games every night so, I mean, by taking away Clarkson, he, he should have known this. And he should have been able to adapt to it. And he still got veterans on the roster, and apparently Kevin Love and him got into it too. So the veterans didn't like him either. 
because they're probably wondering what they're still doing there. That's the thing. Like, and when you brought up Brad Stevens, it's interesting because he obviously was younger and was in a position to like make that jump to the Celtics, knowing that they had a ton of assets at the time and they're going to grow into it. And they overachieved early on in his in his tenure. But Brad Stevens also knew what he was getting into, basically. And I don't think that uh, Beeline really thought of it, which is why it made no sense. I'm like, if this is a long-term project for a 66-year-old guy, we're looking at he's going to be seeing the fruits of these labors in his early 70s. Not that that can't be done, but just seemed totally strange. And Like, so much to do with the Cavs is just a total disaster. I think you tweeted it. You at least mentioned it to me off-air yesterday. I, I think you also tweeted it, that the, the Cavs are basically the kings if LeBron hadn't been born yet. Yeah, like if, yeah. if LeBron's not from Ohio, that's right. the Cavs are the Kings. And we can get into it because this is something like I've talked about too. Not I didn't put it as great as that, you know, and, and calling them the Kings. But I've said like th- this, if you look at the Cavs organization, at least even just in the Dan Gilbert years, yeah. and you look at the things they've done aside from just being lucky enough to have gotten the number one overall pick in a year when perhaps the greatest basketball player to ever walked the earth, or at least the second best basketball player at worst to ever walk the earth, was going to be the number one pick, and he happened to be from Northeast Ohio. Other than that insane luck of the draw, what has this franchise actually done right? Exactly, yeah. Kyrie Irving, everyone knew he was the number one pick. That's not something they did right. They won a lottery. Yeah. They won another lottery, drafted Anthony Bennett, yeah. right? Yeah. LeBron comes back, and so they, after winning another lottery, they trade that number one pick in Wiggins to get Kevin Love. Every bit of success this team has had in the last 15 to 20 years has simply been because LeBron was either drafted or wanted to go home. Go home, exactly. And because they kept winning the lottery. That's right. And I'm sure, yeah, you could find like things along the margins. That, you know, they, David Griffin made some great moves, and yeah. they were all win-now moves, and but he had to make David them. what do they do with David Griffin, though? You know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no, and that's the thing I meant about LeBron, too, is, like, if LeBron's born in, like, Georgia, does he go back there in 2014? Of course not. So they don't win a championship. You know, you've got that era that LeBron's first run. That would be the most successful era in franchise history if this is the case. So, no, it's it's been a gong show, I think, always. I mean, if you go way back, I mean, I think they had some success in the early 90s with Lenny Wilkins, but, I mean, not enough to ever really be relevant. And now, since the Dan Gilbert era began, just look at this list, like, uh, David Griffin, they didn't give him a contract extension. That pisses off LeBron. You know, I'm not saying LeBron would have stayed if Griff had stayed, but it didn't help. They hired Kobe Altman, who's probably inexperienced with the job. The whole David Blatt thing, remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah, we remember that. <laughs> the Tyron, Tyron Lue and uh, Larry Drew thing. Drew didn't want to be the coach, basically. He said, like, no, no thanks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and Anthony Bennett, too. And that's a s- situation where they put that guy in a bad situation by drafting him first. I think Anthony Bennett might have been better off if he was drafted 12th. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I'd probably better off if he had been drafted by anyone but the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, mm-hmm. you can go back, I guess, obviously predates Dan Gilbert's era, but in the 80s, wasn't it? it Stepping the reason the Stepien rule exists yeah. <laughs> is because their owner at the time or their GM was Stepien was their owner, right? I believe he's the owner, yeah. yeah. Traded a plethora of consecutive, consecutive first picks. rounders, yeah. which is now the reason the Stepien rule named after him exists, yeah. where teams you can't trade your first round pick if you have already dealt the first round pick that precedes it. Or follows it. Successive years. Yes, until it's actually been conveyed. So, like, if you owe your 2020 first-round pick to someone, 
you can't trade your 2021 first round That's pick. That's right. Yeah. However, once the 2020 draft is complete and that pick's already conveyed, then you can trade your 2020. But yeah, the reason it's in place because is of because him. of yeah. the Cavs' mismanagement in the 80s. They were bad for most of my childhood in the 90s. Then they get LeBron and everything changes. They become you know almost an instant contender. They missed the playoffs the first two years. Then they became a playoff team. They were in the finals by 2007 because he dragged them there. They surrounded him with nothing. In that first run. Yeah. He leaves. He comes back again because of all the fortune I talked about in the lottery. They're able to surround him with Kyrie and Love by extension with the Wiggins trade. David Griffin does make some really good win now moves that mortgage their future, but he had to do it. They win a title. It's the greatest moment in Cleveland sports. Dan Gilbert lets David Griffin walk because he does not extend executives. Colby Altman is the only GM under David Griffin to get a second contract. Colby Altman, the guy who never secured LeBron James's confidence. And I'm very confident in LeBron James' non-confidence in Colby Altman. Yeah, I think that's clear. Had the blow-up with Kevin Love earlier this year. Has done basically nothing other than draft Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And I'm not even sure how that's going to pan out. Like I, I think both guys have potential. But I think another question we can get into is both guys are, I'd say, pretty raw guards yeah. from an NBA perspective. And we don't really know what to make of them. We don't know on either. Like Sexton, I think, could should be a good defender, but he's not yet. And yeah. his jumper's wonky. And Garland is like kind of a mixed bag. And I feel like guys like that, projects like that, you need a good culture. You need good player development. Right. You need like everything right. has to be built well around them for them to thrive. And what I'm starting to wonder is how in God's name is Colin Sexton or Darius Garland going to reach his ceiling in an environment like the Cavs have created where if you're Colin Sexton, you're about to be on coach number four <laughs> a year and a half into your NBA career. Ty Lue lasted, what, seven games into yeah. Sexton's rookie year. Larry Drew took the job after, as you mentioned, didn't even want it. Then they hire a 66-year-old college coach to come in and coach you. He quits at the All-Star break, walks out of the building to the tune of Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> and now Jamie Bickerstaff, who is basically like a full-time interim coach wherever he goes, yeah. is now the guy. He gets his next chance, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the culture sucks. I mean, that's just brutal. Like, Because when you, when you thought about pairing those two together, uh, the backcourt known as Sexland, that is, like... <laughs> You're talking about, like, what, two guards were, like, sub 6'3". So it's going to be an interesting – and, look, they're rebuilding. And, I mean, if this was done like it was supposed to be, with Beeline kind of grasp this properly, just, like, throw these guys out there and, and let's see what happens. We're probably going to win, like, 12 games, but let's try it. But, yeah, th that lack of culture is, like, huge. And I think it's something we've all come to know more so in the last couple of years. You see these cultures get established with teams like the Raptors, and you see how important that is. There's none of that in Cleveland. And, I mean, if there's overhaul like that and the coaching, I mean, who knows how long Altman lasts for that matter too, right? Start talking about that. It's not like Cleveland is a desirable location either. It's not a free agent destination unless you're LeBron James coming home. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it leaves a lot of questions. Dan Gilbert is a terrible owner. I think we can say that. His track record hasn't been great. I know he bought the team and he put in a lot of money into the arena and all that, but – you know, the fact still remains. You take away that LeBron experience, there's not much there. Yeah, and, I mean, he can never separate himself from the infamous letter he wrote. Right. You know, the night LeBron left. I don't think, you know, him and LeBron may have buried the hatchet, but if we're looking at his entire ownership tenure, yeah. I think that has to be held against him. And I'd even argue, like, Dan Gilbert is basically James Dolan, but maybe even, like, he might be even worse than James Dolan because both guys spend money. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. so that like that that's never really been an issue. But Dolan, while he doesn't allow his executives the autonomy they deserve, will spend money on executives too, right? He went out and got Phil Jackson. Yeah. It was the wrong they choice, the but wrong he did choices, it, right? But yeah. He would, if he could, yeah. move heaven and earth to pay Masai Ujiri whatever he wanted. Dan Gilbert isn't doing that on the executive side. He's hiring within. He's just promoting within cheaply yeah, over and over cheap. and over again and then refusing to extend guys if they show they earn it. Right? Yeah, so, and, and I thought I thought that Griffin was probably the worst example of that. You know, when an executive like that who built that team, well-liked, LeBron liked him, um, and then, you know, he delivered Cleveland's first championship in like 50 years. And then, well, we're not going to give you a contract extension. David Griffin's moved on. He's doing fine. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad if you're a Cavs fan, but I guess you're probably used to this kind of thing where you're, it's, it usually sucks, and then you get like maybe a two-year window of greatness. J.B. Bickerstaff, by the way, um, his head coaching career in the NBA, 85 wins, 131 yeah. losses. He took over on an interim basis in Houston. After they, I'm trying to think who they fired. Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale, right. And he actually led them to a 37-34 and 34 record, and they lost in five games the first round of the playoffs to the Warriors. Then he goes to Memphis, takes over midway through the season for... Fisdale. Or F- Fisdale, yeah, right. When they fired Fisdale. Right, when yeah. they fired Fisdale, goes 15-48, and 48, albeit with a bad team that we knew was going to be bad. And then in his one full season as an NBA head coach, after the Grizzlies had deemed at the time that his 15 and 48 record was enough to give him a full season on the job. He went 33 and 49 and was fired, finds himself in Cleveland. And that was the, that was the last season when they traded Gasol. And they yeah. Part of ways with all yeah. these guys. That was so last yeah, season. It was, kind of, it was kind of the end of that yeah. Brian House run. So, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the Memphis experience, it was kind of a team on the decline. I don't know. From what I've seen limited, I don't know if he's like a standout coach by any stretch. I think that the work he did in Houston – after McKelly got him in the playoffs, and I think they got beaten five by the Warriors. They weren't going to beat the Warriors in that playoff series anyway. Yeah, he's a career NBA guy. His dad was a coach for a long time. But it just seems like one of these Cleveland retread situations. How much success do you think this guy can have doing this with his team? Is he prepared to like just kind of let these guys put it together on their own or what? Look, the Cavs are going to continue to suck, like at least in yeah. the short term. And yeah. I'm sorry, but J.B. Bickerstaff isn't going to turn them around. There, I, don't think, I don't know if there's any coach in the world that can do much with this specific roster, especially the post-deadline version of this roster that now has Andre Drummond, Tristan yeah, Thompson, a whole Kevin thing. Love, and Larry Nance. Like, I don't understand how they're going to figure this out. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand how this is going to help either of Sexton or Garland. Yeah, and there's, um, there's no desire by Tristan Thompson for a buyout or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. So, yeah. So, it's going to be a disaster. The chemistry is probably going to be a disaster. I, I don't know how seriously the players are going to take Bickerstaff. He's probably going to compile another terrible record. Maybe in Dan Gilbert's world, it will be enough to give him the full-time job next year because <laughs> he probably will come cheap. And if it's not, they'll hire another cheap coach and on and on it will go until another LeBron James comes to save him. And guess what? That's not happening. Well, he is he is younger, and I guess he won't make these guys do two-a-days. So maybe that's a step in the right direction for the players. But yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, you, you got to wonder, too, with Kevin Love's contract. Probably pretty much untradeable at this point. You could see a situation where that eventually gets unloaded for pennies on the dollar, you know, however that is. And, yeah, I mean, they're kind of stuck. They're going to be stuck in this situation for a couple of years, and I wouldn't put money on Bickerstaff lasting that whole time. Even this year, okay, I think right now they've got the second-worst record in the league. They're 14-40, and 40, so yeah. they're in line for a great pick, but yeah. in a bad draft. Yeah. Right? 
Well, it's not. A, it's not a draft with like a star player. I would right. say bad, but yeah, it's not. Right. It's not a great draft. Right. Yeah. It's not. A, if you need a franchise savior, <laughs> this is not it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Buckle up, Cavs fans, because <laughs> the future looks very Cavs tastic. They just sunk a bunch of money into the arena, so maybe they're getting better concessions there this next season. Yeah. Who knows? I'd be really interested in what their TV numbers are. Their local. TV numbers yeah. are because, I mean, obviously they don't play on national TV a lot. They never do. And LeBron James isn't in the fold. And their young guys aren't that type of talent. It's not like they're a bad team with, um, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a type of talent that would make a bad team. Well, what we thought, I guess Memphis, but they're good actually. Right, exactly. Like, but even know. Memphis, yeah. right? Say Memphis was as bad as we thought they'd be, yeah. but John Morant was what John Moran is exactly, right now, yeah. I'd watch the hell out of that For team, sure. right? And yeah. a, a, a national audience would do because, yeah. you know, it's like go back to that first year of the Thunder when OKC. I think they started, what, like 1-20? Yeah. But people were still watching that team because yeah. KD and Russ, those guys were excited. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, this is not up and coming. That's right. So on a national level, we know no one cares about them. But, like, I'd be very curious to know. They're, they're definitely, I don't think, riding that post-title <laughs> wave anymore no. with LeBron gone and them not being competitive in the slightest. Like, do... I'd be really curious to know, like, do people in Cleveland even care about this team right now? Or are they just kind of in, like, wake me up when we're relevant again? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of bare for Cleveland, too. The Browns suck. Um, you know, the Tribe's had its moments. But, yeah, it's it, – I, I can't I, – I saw those list of local TV ratings yesterday. I didn't see the Cavs. I know that a couple teams are down. It's kind of disturbing. But one of the things that that story did mention is that a lot of the Southern teams have pretty low TV ratings, which, you know, when you look at teams like Atlanta, I mean, there's another team that – probably fits into that category where they've got exciting players but they're pretty bad but i think that like a lot of those markets just need winners too like if people are pretty fickle in that regard with cleveland you got that short little window where they won a championship and they were good with lebron i don't remember if it ever came out i couldn't find it so one of the things mentioned in john beeline kind of losing his appetite for the job was that kind of, some of the personal stuff they were going through as a family when his son Patrick resigned from Niagara University right. under what every reporter is just calling "quote unquote" tumultuous circumstances. Yeah, yeah. it hasn't come out. I was trying to to, to research that. I it, there, there's no real definitive reason for it. Um, there's all kinds of speculation. You know, if there was some kind of substance issue, if there might have been some kind of regularity off the floor. Well, it hasn't been talked about. He quit, and it was kind of shocking because he didn't he didn't coach a game for them, right? Yeah, no, and. He, like, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think his dad didn't coach Niagara. It was one of those Buffalo area teams. Um, but so, he, and he, I think Beeline's from the Buffalo area, so he has connections there. So it was probably kind of a big deal when this guy was hired as coach in Niagara and then to quit before it. And they get replaced by Greg Paulus, who was actually a guy who played basketball at Duke and football at Syracuse, weirdly That's enough. That's strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a strange situation and you know, I can't fault the guy if there's some kind of family issue going on there that's kind of overshadowing his, uh, his job. But I mean, he didn't do a very good job at his job. Don't forget Tristan Thompson at one point was calling a plays in a huddle. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was honestly a disaster from the jump and not just the jump of the regular season, but literally probably the first tip off of summer league based on all the reporting that's out there. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. The Score's MMA podcast with James Lynch gives you your mixed martial arts fix. And the Fantasy Football podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. 
That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. I think half hour dedicated to whatever mess John Beeline has <laughs> left behind in Cleveland is probably a half hour too much. So before we sign off, let's both come up with one thing we want to watch or are interested in watching, are intrigued to watch in the unofficial second half of the season, the post-All-Star break. The season. final third. I think it's it's just really wanting to see the Clippers and especially like Kawhi and PG actually play together. They've only played 24 games together out of 55. They've only got two back-to-backs left the rest of the way. So, and I mean, I, Paul George actually has a hamstring issue coming out of the break. But ideally, I'd like to see those guys get more run together. And I'm sure a lot of Clippers fans would as well. And everybody does. Because they're, they're still like the third best team in the Western Conference. You know, their depth guys have kind of backed them up. Adding Marcus Morris is a... I think a big piece in terms of like the trade deadline. I think that was like probably the best fit move of a, something a team needed. So yeah, seeing that, you know, I fully expect, I think the way we all predicted being in the season, it's going to be an all LA conference finals, but Clippers are going to have to enter second or third, obviously for that to happen. I think they will. And we'll, we'll go from there. So, you know, I still think the Lakers are probably better and, you know, there's extenuating circumstance. I think the Lakers would win a series, but other than that, you know, I just maybe see if Memphis can hang on in that playoffs, but yeah, yeah, I was gonna go with Memphis in terms of the LA thing. I agree with you. I I think the Lakers. I picked the Lakers to win the title at the beginning of the year. Wolfon, I believe, picked the Clippers. I think the Clippers are actually the better built team all around. Yeah. In terms of like depth and everything in the way, but I still, as crazy as it is to say, in 2020, I still don't think people appreciate how good, not just LeBron, but how good LeBron James and Anthony Davis are together. Yeah, no, it's true. And that combination yeah. of talent, how perfectly it fits. Those two guys are on the court, and you surround them with some shooting and defense, like Danny Green type. Yeah. It's going to be near impossible to beat them four out of seven times. And yeah, the only team that I think could do it is probably the Clippers, or maybe Milwaukee if they get rolling enough. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because the Lakers right now are obviously in the driver's seat for the one seed. The Clippers are, at, I think, are third right now, yeah. and they're closer to fourth than they are to the first place Lakers. And I think that's something to watch because yeah, if we get true. into a situation where the Clippers finish fourth or fifth or something, and they get a deal with like a Houston in the first round, just to get to yeah. the second round where yeah. they would then have to play the Lakers, that's a big problem. And load management and all that stuff plays into that. In terms of what I'm going to watch, yeah, I was going to go with Memphis and New Orleans because yeah. I just want to watch yeah. John Morant and Zion Williams. If Zion had been healthy from the start of the season. And you look at the numbers he's putting up as a 19-year-old rookie in the NBA. He's averaging 22 points, 7.5 rebounds, 2 assists on 58-36, 65 shooting. Not shooting great from the free throw line, but pretty ridiculous numbers given that he's only playing 27 minutes a game. If he had done this from the beginning of the season and not been hurt, and John Morant was doing what he is doing now... This would be like one of the all-time All time, yeah, rookie great. of the yeah. year races we've ever seen. And I think Josh should have it locked up already just because... More games. Right, more yeah. games. And he's got his team in a freaking playoff spot in the in the West when people thought they were going to lose like 55 games. But I'm just interested in watching them both. And, and not even because of the rookie of the year race or anything like that, but just because I think these guys are the future of the league. I think they're both super unique and super fun to watch in their own ways and in their own styles. The fact that they're, you know, Memphis is eighth right now. The Pelicans aren't really in the playoff race, but they still think they are. And I think yeah. they're they're like one push away from being in it again. Yeah, I just think both teams are going to be super fun to watch down the stretch. Memphis trying to hold that last playoff spot. 
with Jaw leading the, the way, Zion and the Pels trying to catch them for that last playoff spot. They actually have two matchups in a four-night span in late March. On the 21st, they play each other, and then on March 24th, they play each other yep. again. I think if you're looking for something kind of like outside the box, outside of like the top seeds or the contenders, yeah. watching the Grizzlies and Pelicans these last two months and specifically watching Jaw and Zion, I think, should, would, will be a treat for any basketball Yeah, fan. I agree, I agree. And I think it's, it's good to see Zion back. I mean, there were some questions if he was going to be able to play this year. And I mean, I, I think you're right. If he had a played a full season and protract this over it, he'd probably be the favorite for rookie of the year. But John Morant's insane. Like I, I was I actually picked him for rookie of the year before the season, even before Zion got hurt. I just thought that maybe wow. there's a possibility there'd be a durability issue with Zion. Maybe they'd set him more. And obviously that's what happened, but but I mean John Morant, like just his passing alone is insane. And like he's an exciting player and these two guys are like gonna be stars for years to come. I think Memphis you know, they might be able to hang on. I saw a probability index the other day. I mean, I think Portland, they gave Portland the next best chance. I think we might be seeing the end of the Spurs uh, run, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, it, all things have to come to an end. But, yeah, no, this is really good for Memphis, too. I just wish they'd have more fans in the seats. Yeah, I know. They're near the bottom of the yeah. league in attendance. And, you know, New Orleans, same thing. New Orleans' attendance is not great. No. Both teams, yeah. I think. That's has. what I'm saying about this, these Southern TV ratings yeah. and attendance is not great. I mean, yeah. I think they want winners, but, yeah. you know. When the FedEx Forum was called the Grindhouse, right? In, yeah. in, in, in the, the peak of the grit and grind era, it sounded loud and you'd watch it on TV. I never got the chance to go out there. Yeah. Um, I don't think their attendance was ever great, but it sounded like the fans were into it, right? And, and yeah. hopefully, Ja can kind of bring that back. And, and in New Orleans, yeah, you'd think if Zion gets that team rolling the apathy would, would come to an end. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it's, it'll be exciting. Yeah, on the jaw front, I have mentioned it earlier in the year. I think it's very rare that a rookie point guard, let alone a rookie point guard that plays as fast as he yeah, does, yeah. can also be as in control as he is, right? You think of like fast water bug type rookie or young point guards and they've got like six turnovers. Like, you know, like yeah, they're... Yeah, yeah. Think like John Wall is rookie. Right. Here, His yeah. jaw's numbers are not like like that i'm so we're putting together a video if anyone's watched our unfiltered series uh, on youtube that yeah. we started the score it's these like five minute kind of video essays on various topics around the league i suggest you subscribe to our youtube channel to check that out but we've got one coming tomorrow on jaw and the season he's having and one of the things i throw in there is so i went and looked at rookies in nba history that have averaged 17 points and seven assists and there's only seven of them and of those seven none have done it while committing fewer turnovers than jaw is yeah, and of those seven, yeah. the only one who's done it more efficiently from a true shooting perspective is Magic Johnson. Really? So, like, this guy's having not just a great rookie year, but a historic rookie year for a point guard. And not just from, like, a, a straight production standpoint, but from an all-around standpoint. Yeah. He's being efficient. He's taking care of the ball as much as you could expect a 20-year-old rookie to. Like, yeah. And that's the thing, like, putting your offense in the hands of, like, a 20-year-old. I mean, think about that for a second, too. So, that he's shown that poise, and it's – I saw it in college. I mean, he played at, like, kind of a low-level school, too. But, you know, some players you can just tell, like, this guy has the makings to be a star. And I think that was the case with him. And, like, he's lived up to the, to the hype. Yeah, he definitely has that it factor, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that does it for us. Another, another week, another episode down here on Pound the Rock. John, where uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? What's you, your you can always jump, uh, jump to Roof That Peach. And, of course, on the Score app on your phone. It's at Roof That Peach, one of the great handles in uh, No basketball idea what it Twitter. means, still. I always assumed it meant, like, I, I thought it was a basketball term. Like, it, it should like be. Peach basket, like peach basket. And then, yeah. yeah, it's just something a guy I know said, like, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And nice. for some reason, I made it a handle. But yeah. Yeah. It's a good oh, one. Yeah, works for basketball. It's a good one. Well, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. 
For John Chick, for Joe Wolfon, what the hell, wherever he is in Hawaii. <laughs> I'm Joseph Cacharo, Pound the Rock.